We were created by design. We were purposed for this time. A generation on the rise. We won't back down. Hello and welcome to the Free Mind Podcast with Seth and Nerva Reddy. I'm Stephen Robles, and we're excited to continue on with our special guest, Ryan Bomberger. He was uh, discussing a lot in the last episode about uh, Black Lives Matter and other topics, and so uh, we get to continue with him. So thanks again, Ryan, for joining us for another episode. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, Ryan, I I wanted you to maybe just spend a little more time talking about the history of Planned Parenthood, uh, how how it came about, uh, what were the what were the ideas behind it, and maybe you know the 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 typical thing we hear is that it's just a really helpful service for women. So maybe maybe address those three things if you don't mind. Yeah, Planned Parenthood was birthed in eugenics. Eugenics was a vile pseudoscience that was rooted in racism and elitism. And what you will have is people who defend Planned Parenthood who will say, well, Planned Parenthood's not the same as it was during Margaret Sanger's days. Margaret Sanger was the founder of Planned Parenthood. She was the nation's leading eugenicist. And there's so much that you can read from Margaret Sanger. In fact, we have lots on our website, Radiance.life, that, that expose Margaret Sanger. But there's, there's actually one quote that I think is so telling about the birth control movement. She was the mother of the birth control movement. And this is what she, this is how she defined birth control. She said, birth control itself, often denounced as a violation of natural law, is nothing more or less than the facilitation of the process of weeding out the unfit, of preventing the birth of defectives or of those who will become defective. Mm -hmm. This is the founder of Planned Parenthood. And this is what happens when you Grow up in brokenness. She grew up in a large family in poverty. She had an alcoholic father. Um, when you grow up in brokenness and you choose brokenness the rest of your life. See, Margaret Sanger's whole approach to eliminating poverty was to eliminate people. Very different than others who saw life-affirming solutions to solvable issues. And so people will say, well, you know, Planned Parenthood is not the same today that it was during Margaret Sanger's days. Yeah, it's not, because during Margaret Sanger's days, they weren't killing hundreds of thousands of unborn human beings every year. And now they are. In fact, Margaret Sanger, believe it or not, was anti-abortion. At least she made anti-abortion statements in public. She said, for instance, hundreds of thousands of abortions in a civilization is a disgrace. So, so which, and now today, Planned Parenthood celebrates Margaret Sanger. They give out an annual award, Margaret Sanger. They name their centers after her. They celebrate her in hundreds and hundreds of different ways. So which Margaret Sanger are they celebrating? The birth control is to prevent the birth of defectives, the one who said that she's anti-abortion, the one that she said large swaths of the population need to be sterilized. I mean, which one? Mm. Well, you know, so there is, I mean, this kind of racism, this kind of systemic racism was always part of Planned Parenthood. And I, I and I, every day when we, we talk about our material and we, 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 you know, deliver stuff via social media. Our whole contention is that Planned Parenthood's DNA has never changed. It's just as racist as it was then. Today, however, they get to dress it up in all kinds of euphemisms like pro-choice and reproductive freedom and reproductive justice. But it's all the same. It's still destroying a human being that they deem unworthy of life. Wow. That's interesting. And, but, but the, the thing you kind of hear often is that they're, that's not the main thing that they do, right? Abortion, but they really are there for women's health. Yeah, is that kind of the response to that? Well, that's what they say. 
but they will say well, abortion is only 3% of their services. So everyone's heard that lie. It's only 3% of their services. And then what they say, but they do all these other things. They provide all these other services. But the problem is mainstream media never actually looks at those other services because if they did, every major medical service to women have been plummeting at Planned Parenthood for over 10 years. Breast cancer screenings, keep in mind, they don't have a mammogram machine. They only do the manual breast exams. The breast cancer screenings have plummeted 62%. Pap tests have plummeted 72%. Prenatal care, when the majority of women in America become moms by the age of, of 44, 86% of all women by the age of 44 become a mom, but yet only 0.1% of Planned Parenthood services are prenatal care. Hmm. So they are not a leading women's health care provider. And they even acknowledged it recently, the new Planned Parenthood president, Dr. Lena Wen, admitted that their services are plummeting for the first time because the NPR played a clip of me talking about these plummeting services. And <laughs> which she said, yes, we would like to expand our services, but all these attacks from pro-lifers, well, guess what service, quote unquote, has not plummeted? Uh, see. Abortion. Mm. So they've chosen to only... <laughs> Do the thing that brings them in the most money. Keep in mind, they have $2 billion in assets. They pull in $1.6 billion a year in revenue. And this last wow. year, they had nearly $230 million in profit. Mm. People are believing the lie. They believe that these, uh, we can defund Planned Parenthood. They only serve 2% of American women, 2%. They are, they're they not irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. There are 13,000 other uh, taxpayer-funded facilities, federally qualified health centers, community health centers that do far more real health care than Planned Parenthood does. They just don't commit mm -hmm. abortions. But no one knows. I mean, I shouldn't say no one. So few people know that these resources already exist because Planned Parenthood has $2 billion in assets that they can put themselves out there as if they're the savior mm -hmm. of the poor, savior of the black community, and savior of women. And it's a lie because last time I checked, saviors came saviors typically save people <laughs> they come to wow. give life yeah. not to take it away i'm yeah. just saying wow. so so ryan just to be clear you know a lot of the call is to defund planned parenthood and you mentioned a second ago taxpayer money going to it but what exactly is that asking for when we say we want to defund planned parenthood well planned parenthood gets half a billion taxpayer dollars every year Half a billion. Now, why are we giving half a billion dollars to an organization that has $2 billion in assets? It makes no sense. Why are we giving half a billion dollars a year to an organization that has deliberately um, allowed all these major medical services to decline? So when we're talking about defunding them, they raise their own money. Why should American taxpayers play a role in helping to fund abortion? Wow. People will argue, well, taxpayer dollars don't ever pay for abortion. Of course they do. They pay for abortion in, in Medicaid uh, programs across the state, uh, across the states. California, in its last year, reported out of its nearly 200,000 abortions, nearly half of those were funded through Medi-Cal, which is their state version of Medicaid, which gets federal dollars and state taxpayer dollars, and they fully fund abortions for any reason in the state of California and at any point in the pregnancy. New York State also uh, funded 51% of its uh, abortions last year through um, Medicaid. So when we talk about defunding Planned Parenthood, as a pro-life American, I don't want a dime of my money going to an organization whose core mission, 
In fact, this was just spoken by their president, Dr. Lena Wen. She said, our core mission is to protect and expand access to abortion. That is their Mm. core mission. So those who are arguing to continue funding Planned Parenthood, what is the argument for it? Um, Because Planned Parenthood is is for women's rights. See, they get caught up in all the euphemisms. Well, which right is that? The right to be misinformed? The right to be harmed um, by the, physical, the physiological ramifications of abortion, which, for instance, increase preterm births, increase triple negative breast cancer risk. Um, I mean, are these the things that, is that giving a, a woman empowerment? Mm. So it's, Planned Parenthood has successfully put itself out there in its branding as if it's synonymous with women's rights. But you'll find, for instance, when I spoke at Harvard, um, a lot of these Planned Parenthood activists who came to this this presentation were talking about, you can't defund them. Women will have nowhere else to go. And then I asked them, well, how, what percent of women are, are even served by Planned Parenthood? They, they had no idea. I said, right. what services do they actually provide? And even the professor that I was debating, I asked her three times. She couldn't answer the question. Hmm. But here they are, I mean, rabidly defending Planned Parenthood, but they couldn't answer basic questions about who and what Planned Parenthood is. Hmm. So that's a large, in large part, that's why so many defend. They're defending what they actually don't know. Wow. wow. I'm not saying all of them, because some of them do know. Yeah. <laughs> some of them do know that they're the leading abortion chain in this country, yeah. and they have no problem with that. But there are many who actually don't know. I speak in high schools all the time. So many of these students have no idea. I mean, how would they? They're not getting it from mainstream media. Mainstream media is never, never honest about reporting about Planned Parenthood. We watched a short uh, interview you did on MSNBC talking about abortion rates and stuff like that. And, and there were a bunch of facts that the the news host threw out. And you quickly talked about how those studies were you know, not well conducted, uh, maybe even falsified. And then you spewed out some facts and the news reporter just said, well, I'm not going to take your word on it either. And you did an incredible job just kind of just staying with it. And, and I think coming across as the knowledgeable one, but how do you deal with someone like that? Who is just saying, well, you don't take my facts. I don't take your facts. So, you know, no one knows what's happening. Well, I mean, they should know the facts. One of the things he was talking about was how seven out of 10 people in this recent poll don't think the Roe v. Wade should be overturned. I said, but you should also know that in that same survey, it asked people the, their opinion of Roe v. Wade. What do they know about Roe v. Wade? And 41% didn't know enough about it to know what it was. So I said, so if in that same survey, seven out of 10 don't want to overturn it, but they don't know what Roe v. Wade is, isn't that a problem? I mean, this is the kind of stuff. And then, you know, he was comparing, you know, gun violence, quote unquote, gun violence with, with abortion. Isn't that also being pro-life? And I said, you know, you're comparing, you know, 11,000 homicides about that, that many with, um, with in, in that year, about a million abortions. I said, the two aren't comparable. Plus, you know, pro-life can't mean everything. This is, this is the other thing. Um, when a word me, when a word is defined by everything, it becomes nothing. Mm. And so this is what, I mean, Craig Melvin, he was a nice guy. In fact, I got probably one of the nicest MSNBC um, folks to interview me, but he was clueless. I mean, it's their job. They should report. I was giving him New York State Department of Health numbers. It's not my fault that as a journalist, he had no idea what numbers I was talking about. Right. And so it's it's the laziness on the side of, of journalists, of today's journalists, um, that brings us the kind of... 24 seven uninformed news that we get. 
because they choose not to know. And so they never invited me back, by the way. <laughs> They're like, no, we invitation. need. Man. Can you speak to, um, you mentioned earlier, I think, would you agree? I'm assuming that the number one argument for Planned Parenthood is women's rights and their choice for um, unwanted parents pregnancies can you speak to options that women may have and um i know that your story is so powerful and your mom was so brave of of i'm sure it was a unwanted pre- pregnancy i think she was raped is that the story but yes she, i was not planned i see 100 not planned by by humans i should say yeah and when i'm in these conversations when when someone brings up a story of someone who is a survivor of that it just kind of changes the tone and people pause in their argument well people are walking the earth with purpose who were born out of that same kind of story so would you speak to that um maybe there's women out there that are in that situation and i don't think enough is said about women and their options as opposed to just their rights absolutely and i am so grateful to my birth mom i've never met her but if i do i I mean i would just be a hot mess just crying Mm -hmm. just being able to try to say thank you for being courageous. And, and this is the shame of it because the abortion industry is constantly telling women, you're not strong enough. Mm. You can't overcome. And as a Christian, especially, I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. Philippians 4.13, um, with God, all things are possible. I mean, nothing is impossible with God. And it doesn't, and that means nothing, absolutely nothing. And, and yet these, the industry itself tells women you cannot. So they're always offering nope, but pregnancy resource centers, pregnancy care centers, they're, over 3,000 in our nation, they're the ones who are offering women facing unplanned pregnancies hope. And it's amazing what happens when you get someone to actually speak just a little bit of hope into your life. It changes the trajectory of everything. So these pregnancy centers, they offer all their services for free, unlike Planned Parenthood. They stay with a woman during pregnancy and for years after the pregnancy. They teach parenting classes, fatherhood mentoring programs, life skills training. I mean, the list goes on and on. They have what's called earn while you learn programs so that they, they, they distribute hundreds of thousands of baby items, furniture, diapers, formula, maternity wear. You won't, they're in these things inside of pregnancy centers. It's called a, a mama or baby boutique. And most pregnancy centers have these. Planned Parenthood, you won't find a single one inside of a Planned Parenthood. So when people talk about these these resources as fake clinics, these are the, their love is real, their care is real, and the transformation that happens at their centers is real. And anyone, any client, any mama who has walked through those doors fearful and confused and terrified of what lies ahead will tell you their lives are beautifully transformed because the women at these centers, the women and men at these centers <laughs> love them with their lives. <laughs> and so there are incredible resources. Optionline.org is the easiest way to find out where a local pregnancy center is in your area. Just put in your zip code. So optionline.org so or pregnancycenters.org. Either one of those, that's the same, it's the same resource. But it it really will connect you with those who've been exactly where these young women have been ex- exactly where some of these young men have been. Mm. They've been through that journey. They've been on that journey. Do you know if the, is there any strategy with Planned Parenthood to put their um, offices in specific locations? Do they kind of target minority areas or anything like that, or do they, they just is there any uh, thought that goes into that? 
Absolutely. There's a great study um, put out by Life Issues Institute uh, several years ago. This is just about four years ago. And it was a comprehensive study, the only one of its kind, that showed the location of Planned Parenthood abortion facilities. And 79% of those facilities are located in predominantly minority neighborhoods within walking distance. So there has been racial targeting. It's undeniable uh, just the location of these facilities. But then people will say, well, it's because of poverty. No, New York City is a perfect example of, of the falsity of that, that argument. Because in New York City, for instance, where abortion rates among blacks are five times higher than the majority population and twice as high as Hispanics. So in New York City, for instance, in 2014, for every 1,000 black babies that were born alive, 1,101 were aborted. But then you look at the, the poverty rates in New York City that same year, and the, the poverty rates in 2014, Hispanics had a higher poverty rate than blacks. Hispanics had a higher rate of uh, lack of insurance than blacks, but yet the black population had twice the abortion rates. And why is that? Well, you have to understand there's been a historical targeting. There is a present targeting that happens. I mean, recently Planned Parenthood tweeted out, in America, if you're a black woman, it's statistically safer for you to have an abortion than to carry a pregnancy to term or to give birth. Yikes. What? That's not even, I mean, the, the CDC says you can't compare maternal mortality rates with, a, with deaths from abortion because one, there's no state law or federal law to report abortion complications or death. There's none. So the two systems, as the CDC reports, they're not even comparable at all. Hmm. So you get Planned Parenthood saying, black women, you're better off having your child aborted. What? This is the targeting that continues to happen. The messaging that, that Planned Parenthood works with every, every major black media outlet, Essence, Ebony, um, BET, the list goes on and on and on. They actually partner with these organizations who, who constantly say, if Planned Parenthood is defunded, black women will have nowhere else to go for health care. Hmm. It is a lie. The targeting is 100% of the time. It's unbelievable. And this is what we try to expose. You think the motivation at bottom is racism or what's going on there? The, I think the bottom line motivation is, is brokenness. Um, because, I mean, when you're talking about eugenics, eugenics, I mean, people want to say racism, but it's deeper than racism. Racism isn't the ultimate sin. I mean, being godless and, and not being separate from God, which is what sin is, um, it could be greed. I mean, you're talking about a billion dollar institution. I mean, Planned Parenthood, they, they're doing it for money. Is it racism? Yes. In large part, it is racism. It is a, it's an unsevered timeline from when they began. And if you're constantly, dis I mean, it used to be they disproportionately targeted on the black community with birth control because they promised that birth control would eliminate poverty. They said it would severely reduce or eliminate poverty. But what they wanted to do was to severely reduce or eliminate the birth rate of poorer blacks. It's why you had famous people like the, the voting rights activist, anti-poverty activist, Fannie Lou Hamer, the one who said, you know, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. She did not have any love for Planned Parenthood. She called out their targeting for what it was. She called it genocide in the black community. Jesse Jackson. And we all know Jesse Jackson. He loves to get in, <laughs> yes. he loves to get in everybody's business. Jesse Jackson used to be passionately pro-life people. He used to be passionately pro-life. He called abortion in 1973 Jet Magazine. He called it genocide. He worked with Ruth Graham, the, the late Ruth Graham, the wife of the late Billy Graham, huh. on an amendment to ban abortion. He helped to establish 
um, CareNet, what is today one of the largest networks of uh, pregnancy centers. He helped establish that. And guess what happened? Guess what changed his mind about abortion? He ran for president in 1984 Ooh. on the Democrat ticket and did a complete 180. Ooh. Oh, man. So if you ask, is it racism? Yes. Is it greed? Yes. It, it is a combination of things, but it's undeniable that what spawned Planned Parenthood in the first place has never changed. Their DNA is the same. Oof. Wow. So with Radiance, what are you guys hoping to accomplish a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? What's, what's your goal? Our goal was always to creatively illuminate that life has purpose. I mean, that's, you know, whether, and of course, part of that, Part of our goal is to see abortion abolished. Absolutely, 100%. Of course, our job's never over at that point. I mean, in fact, the job becomes, I think, even tougher in, in many ways. But we, we address so many different issues. But fundamentally, I mean, without life, nothing else matters. So that's why it's a primary focus of ours. But we're going to keep on illuminating that we are created with purpose I mean, Psalm 139, it says we're fearfully and wonderfully made, but there's no disclaimer that says, oh, if you were humanly planned, we are all divinely planned. Even, you know, someone like me that the world says should have been aborted. I was, God still had a plan for me. I'm sure my birth mom couldn't see it at the time, but that's the beautiful thing of, of singular decisions. They have reverberations for generations. And so what we're, we're going to continue to do through the Radiance Foundation is just keep on speaking truth, keep speaking life, keep speaking the only hope that truly exists, and that is Jesus Christ. Amen. And we do that through these creative ways. We tackle these tough issues. And no matter the hate that comes back at us, we know that we're doing what God designed us to do. My wife, Bethany, my, the love of my life. Um, the co-founder, the executive director. She's actually the one in charge. And I have no problem with a woman being in charge, people. Amen, Come on. I'm, I'm living that life right That's now. That's wisdom right there. That's <laughs> good wisdom. But we, we, love, we love what we do. And we love mm. that God is able to use us to speak into somebody's life. And then when he gives us little glimpses along the way of how someone's life was impacted, it's a beautiful reminder of you know all that you go through, all the frustration and the stress, and we're homeschooling parents, by the way, of our four children. Mm-hmm. All that—that—that's a whole other story, right there. But all that, all that exertion, all that exhaustion is worth every second. And I love that God gives us little glimpses because honestly, I think if God gives you just the full reveal, I think for mo- for a lot of people, it would just go to their heads, and we would forget mm-hmm. that these victories are God's. These abilities are God's and we're just, we're going to keep on doing what we do. We just, we illuminate, educate, and motivate. And we love doing that every day. Man, that's so good. Um, speaking of some of the feedback uh, that you get, you, you recently gave a presentation at Wheaton College. Uh, Nerva and I actually have been to Wheaton. She's, so she's from Chicago. Mm-hmm. Ayo. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, All right. and so, you know, I took her, just just a brief little story here once. We went to this apologetics conference uh, that Ravi Zacharias puts on RZIM to, to Wheaton <gasps> Love College. him. Yeah, yeah man. Love like, him. Yeah. So this was before Nerva knew anything about that world, and, yep. and she officially thought I was crazy when I took her to, <laughs> to yes, this, true, to this true conference. Story. She was like, what are these people arguing like, about? What like, just happened? She's like, I don't I don't get it. But no, she loves it. And um, that was that was my only time at Wheaton. We, I think we were there for the week. And uh, they had an amazing campus. We've had friends that have gone there 
Love it. Um, but you recently went there and gave a talk on this topic, and they had an interesting reaction that I was really taken uh, taken aback just to hear what happened. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and just what, what went down there? Well, craziness. That's what went down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Straight up craziness. I mean, I was invited by the college Republicans to address uh, abortion's impact in the black community. So the theme, the title was was Black Lives Matter in and out of the womb. Mm. And so I talked about my own story, talked about adoption, and then talked about the, the history of Planned Parenthood so that I was giving context. And then talking about the Black Lives Matter movement and praising those students who were engaged in in what they they felt they were fighting injustice but then i started talking about very specifics about black lives matter and it was it was a short part of it of the whole presentation but i was talk i was challenging them as christians why are we embracing a secular movement that is inarguably hostile to many of the tenets of our our own faith why doesn't the church lead on these these issues of racial justice and apparently because i'm brown I'm not allowed to say anything negative about the Black Lives Matter movement. So what ended up happening, the presentation went great. Then there was 30 minutes of Q&A. And then after the Q&A, there was another 30 to 45 minutes of Q&A from a number of minority students who were very upset with the fact that I did not embrace the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, But there was a lot of time for everyone to be heard. There was a lot of time for everybody to be represented. I mean, the whole presentation was about black folk presented by a black guy and lots of people were heard. But then six days later, the two Wheaton officials and three student government leaders released a campus wide email denouncing me, denouncing the college Republicans. And they said that my presentation was filled with offensive rhetoric that, quote, made students, staff and faculty of color feel unheard, underrepresented and unsafe on their campus. Wow. So it didn't go exactly the way I thought it had gone. And even though you can see the presentation online, you go to Facebook, you go to Radiance Foundation and, and actually watch the presentation. I mean, it was it was complete nonsense. There was nothing that made anyone feel unsafe. What? Yeah. I mean, were people running for their <laughs> lives? I mean, in fear of their physical lives? This is what happens. See, the, the problem is you have an, on an evangelical campus you have this this belief that race transcends all. It was, goes back to what I was talking about before when I was talking about the deification of diversity. And so my challenge to Wheaton is, are you teaching students to think? Or are you teaching them to fear? Because if hearing a perspective that challenges your opinion makes you feel unsafe, then you're not prepared to go out and evangelize to the world. Wow. Because we're not called to be safe as Christians. We're called to be bold and courageous. I mean bold as lions. I mean, we're not called to go, you know, sniveling away in some corner and play with some crayons and jello because someone said something that doesn't fit with our opinion. And so, and even in this, it was grace-filled. It was biblically-based presentation, but unfortunately, Wheaton leadership failed to correct any of that. So here they smear me completely. And so for two weeks, I tried to rectify this with leadership didn't say anything publicly about it and we had a phone conference set up they ended up canceling the phone conference at the last second because we asked if one of our board members could be part of the the off the record call and they refused so they never bothered to talk to us but instead continued to put out statements that were completely untrue um it's just a shame because 
I would have expected that response from a Princeton University or maybe even from Penn State or from, you know, other secular USC, other secular universities, not from Wheaton College. Yikes. You know, we act so we, you know, yeah, we went we went and watched the presentation you did just to see. I kept waiting for the moment when you went out there and slapped somebody, but I, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> right? it didn't happen. No, it it did not way. happen. Just it did so not. Know. Ha- I, and I was, uh, you know, I honestly was shocked because it didn't even seem no. like something that would have been controversial. I kept waiting for the moment when I would say, think, okay, that's where they got offended. But I just, I really didn't see anything that should have offended any Christian. Um, even, you know, I, uh, yeah, I just didn't see it. So, I, were you surprised? Like, was there any moment during that or the Q and A when you thought, "Oh, I'm, they're going to give pushback for this," or, or where you felt like us, oh, they're probably upset right now? Could you perceive it, or was it a surprise when you got this email six days later? No, the, in fact, the dean of student development was there during this whole time. So, we had live streamed the event and then the Q and A, and then the the event was over. So, the the recording stopped. And I thought typically, you know, people come up and they, they shake my hand. They want to talk for a little bit. I didn't realize it was going to be another lengthy Q and a, otherwise we would have kept it recording. So it's in that session where they said things that I never, ever spoke. For instance, they said, one of the things I said during that time was that racism doesn't exist. Like what? The whole presentation was about the systemic racism of the abortion industry. Why would I say that racism doesn't exist? So Things and nonsense like that, or nonsense like the KKK, um, no one cares what the KKK believes. That's not at all what I said. I said the KKK is not the threat to the black community today that it used to be when it was state-sponsored, when it was emboldened by the federal government, when they were terrorizing and firebombing people's homes. I mean, it does not have the power that it had then. I said there are far greater threats to the black community, like fatherlessness, like poor school systems and 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 organizations fighting against school choice about abortion. My whole presentation, I said there are far greater threats to the black community than today's powerless KKK. Um, So it was in that post Q&A where students decided they were going to make up things. But here's the crazy thing. There was the dean of student development was there the whole time. And afterward, he said, wow. The way you handled this whole thing and even the hostile questions, you handled it with grace and you you tackled really tough issues. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. I got the Dean of Student Development heard and he praised he praised me. Hmm. Well, he's also the individual that turned around and let's just say did kind of a 180. Really? Yes. Did, wow. and, and he's the reason why this this letter ended up coming out. Um, two of his subordinates who work in the Office of Student Development, um, Student Life, ended up co-writing, approving, and sending out this horrific email um, to smear me. So, you know, and this is part of the thing that you're going to get pushback even from those you think should be your allies. But the tragic thing about all of this for me is that all of a sudden now, the victims are no longer the unborn children who are slaughtered. It's no longer the women who are exploited by an abortion industry. It's no longer the fathers who live with irreversible decisions or abandonment decisions. It's now these students and staff and faculty of color <laughs> who felt unsafe somehow. They're now the victims. Mm. So who are we as Christians? I mean, if we if we can't even handle words that are words of, of exhortation, which they really were during the presentation. If we can't handle those, how in the world are we going to go out into a hostile world yeah. and preach the gospel? Mm. 
Well, yeah, man, it's, that's wild. Um, I will make a quick plug because actually next week um, we'll have a podcast where we're interviewing a guy named Neil Shinvi, and he's going to talk about critical theory and how it is sweeping the Christian colleges, and it's exactly the topic that you just spoke of. So I hope our listeners will check that out. Um, but just as we as we begin to wrap up here, Ryan, how can how can we get involved in the church um, in in this abortion discussion? changing hearts but also changing laws do we do we kind of refrain from getting involved with politics or how do, how do how should we approach this issue as is the church we can't i mean just by nature of who we are as americans who have the freedom to worship the only reason why we have religious liberty is because of the political nature of things so we can't abuse that religious liberty by not speaking truth Use that religious liberty and, and speak the truth about these issues. These are moral issues. Abortion is a moral and spiritual issue. It is not a political issue. It's not a women's issue. It's not a women's rights issue. So the church has to get involved. And there, there are some practical ways for them to get involved. I, you know, There are local pregnancy resource centers. Churches should partner with them. There are people, members of the church that can volunteer. They're always looking for volunteers. They need the financial support. They don't get state funds. They don't get federal funds. Um, there are ways to actually put yourself in a, in a position where you can reach out to those who may be going in and making these irreversible decisions at these abortion facilities. 40 Days for Life is a great way. Go out and pray outside of these abortion facilities. Uh, help an adoptive family or adopt. I mean, I'm adoptive father. Uh, adopt. Be the hope yourself. Yeah. Um, there are adoptive families too who need they need people because oftentimes when you adopt you you're abandoned sometimes because your friends don't quite understand uh, what are you doing and so they need support too. Come alongside a single mom. Come on, love on her. Yeah. Be a, a source of provision, whether material, emotional, spiritual. I mean, mentor a young man. Have a mentoring program so that these guys understand what it means to be a man. They understand biblical masculinity. They understand what it means to be a father. I mean, there are just so many ways. Those are, those are just some that I really recommend the church step up. I mean, pure religion is this, taking care of widows and orphans. And in our culture, we have a cultural war that is leaving behind widows and orphans effectively. Mm -hmm. And wow. there's so much more the church needs to do and mm -hmm. can do. Does it, do, do you think the, um, the laws matter with regard to abortion? And I'll, let me preface it with this. We had a, uh, discussion with Jay Watts. I don't know if you know Jay, but he does lecturing on abortion all around as well. Um, a couple weeks ago on a podcast, we had him in. And a friend of mine uh, kind of responded to that afterwards and said, you know, if you if you make abortion illegal, it's just going to push it kind of in the dark and it's going to be like prohibition and it's going to have more harm than good. So I'd say, A, do you agree with that statement? And then B, what what would be some steps from a legal perspective that could help to, I guess, restrain abortion? Do you think it would knock the numbers down if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned. Yeah, the, the, the whole thought that somehow you can't outlaw an evil act because people still do it, well, then why do we have laws against homicide? I mean, if that's the case, people don't have a law against stealing because people are still going to steal. Well, unfortunately, that's our broken human nature. We do things that harm ourselves and harm others. And Jay Watts, by the way, is a great guy. He's a, he's a passionate, um, he's also a passionate factivist speaking about, out on these issues. I've heard him several times too, but the whole comparison to prohibition to me is, is kind of, it's so intellectually dishonest 
you can't compare abortion, which is the act of killing a human being, with alcohol or possession of alcohol. Those two things are not even comparable. But the fact is, I mean, there are lots of things that are outlawed that people still do, but we still have um, codified in our system the fact that there's punishment for these things because they're not good for society. It is not good for us to kill a million human beings a year, Hmm. especially, I mean, unplanned pregnancy is a solvable issue. These are not unsolvable issues. And that's where the church can really step in and and step up. The church should be vocal. For instance, New York, where they passed the Reproductive Health Act, which allowed abortion through the entire pregnancy now. It eliminated every single protection for women at clinics. No no inspections, no rules. The abortionist doesn't have to provide any information about abortion's risks, no resources, nothing. There, there, It's a self-policing industry, and that's what the Reproductive Health Act allowed. Um, and where, were, where was the voice of the church in New York City? Where were the mega churches all throughout New York City speaking about this? It's not the role of just the, and I'm Protestant, non-denominational, evangelical. The Catholic Church kind of spoke about it uh, in New York, but where is the church on these things? So there, when it comes to political issues, when it comes to the law, absolutely, we have to speak out. We're talking about injustice. If if that's not what we do, if the church I mean, God is a God of justice. Uh, in case people haven't read through throughout the whole scripture, throughout Psalms, he is a God of justice. And when we turn away and pretend that this isn't happening and that it's somebody else's job, it's never somebody else's job. It has to be our job. There are different roles that we all play, but we, we can't be silent when injustice is happening all around us. Mm-hmm. So there, there is, I mean, there was a world before, before Roe v. Wade. And people tend to forget that. It was only 1970 when abortion was legalized in New York, and it was 1973 when, when the Supreme Court ruled unconstitutionally to bring us Roe and allow the, the killing of over 63 million human lives. There was an America before Roe, and there will be an America after Roe. Wow. Um, were you, this could be uh, getting in dangerous territory here, but what did you think about President Trump's comment on abortion at the State of the Union address? Were you encouraged by it, or did you just think, yeah, you know? Fire! That was great. <laughs> yeah. Come on. And then you had all these, all these Democrat House women who were dressed in white. It was supposed they were supposed to pay homage to suffragists, which they apparently forgot. Some of the leading suffragettes, like um, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, um, Alice Paul, they were all passionately anti-abortion. Hmm. But that that being said. They sat there in stone cold silence as he talked about, you know, these these lives. They're they're allowed to take their lives up until the moment of birth when they can feel pain. Mm. So they're made in the holy image of God. Now I never thought in a million years I would ever hear (laughs) Donald Trump. Trump. You know what? But God has used throughout throughout human history people that never would have been in those positions, that people never would have thought, um, he's gonna rule. But he uses people in, and the types of people that we probably never would expect, like a reality show star, For sure. uh, billionaire ra- reality show star, to actually speak these truths and to see the stone cold silence from that side of the aisle. I mean, to me, it was so telling yeah. that it's, it's, a, it's a callous heart issue. And, 
And for him to speak that truth and to, to, to call on Congress to outlaw late-term abortion, of course, not just late-term abortion, because if it's wrong in the late term, right. it's wrong in the early term, because right. we're human from the moment of conception onward. That's a scientific fact. It's not a religious belief. It's a scientific fact. And so to hear Trump say that, I was like, yes, yes, yeah. this is exactly what I mean. I think there's been an awakening with what's mm. happened in New York, with what's happened in Virginia, where Governor Northam is talking about infanticide, whether or not to resuscitate a child with fetal abnormalities. Well, you know what? A number of my siblings have fetal had fetal abnormalities and they're beautiful, mm. incredible people. Um, in fact, I think what the weakest among us teach us is how to be better human beings because they show their resilience and their strength. So Trump's words were powerful. And I think a wake up call to this nation, we are a better nation by the way that we show compassion toward the weakest among us. Well, that's awesome, Ryan. Well, before we go, I just have one quick question. You are the second guest in a row now who has mentioned homeschooling. Uh, Neil Shenvey, <laughs> Neil Shenvey in our uh, previous episodes, uh, theoretical chemist, uh, homeschools, and he is a part of Classical Conversations. I myself, a father of three, and we also homeschool. And uh, I grew up awesome. in public. I grew up in public school, and I was extremely skeptical <laughs> going into it. Uh, but my wife um, helped me understand, and we've been huge proponents of it. It always helps me, and maybe those considering homeschooling, to hear about really smart people that are also homeschooling. And so, uh, how's how's <laughs> Wait, is that what they call people who homeschool? Because well, no. Well, Neil Shenby, you again. I, I consider you guys, you know, very smart people. So, do you guys do a, a homeschool group or classical conversation specifically, or or how do you go about it? And how has it been for you? You can answer briefly. It's no big deal. Sure. Initially, we did a Becca curriculum, and mm -hmm. it's a really tough curriculum. Um, so all of our children were doing that. But over the years, Bethany, as a teacher, would um, kind of fashion the curriculum for each child. And so we do various things. Um, you know, some of some homeschooling co-ops are in this area and we kind of supplement it with that, but it, it's, it's a changing thing each year to where we adapt to where the child is, but they really excel. They take yeah. the state exams and they just crush it. Yeah. I mean, Amen. there's just no, I went to public school all my life, so mm -hmm. I didn't have a frame of reference nor did I know what to expect because honestly, homeschooling is tough. It was really tough, but it is such a blessing because Bethany and I are their major influencers. Yeah. That's the way it should be. Yeah, that's good. Well, thanks so much, Ryan, for joining us on these two episodes. And if people could go one place to, uh, to see your work and what you guys are doing, where would you like to send people? They should go to radiance.life and they can see all the life-affirming work that we do. Listeners, we hope you enjoyed these two episodes with special guest Ryan Bomberger. We encourage you to go to his website, radiance.life, and you'll see links to those and the other resources, including his talk at Wheaton College in the show notes for this episode. And we look forward to our next special guest. Next week's podcast, we have two parts with special guest Neil Shenvey. He's a theoretical chemist, and he's going to talk about the critical theory that he's seeing in our culture today and kind of explain what that means. A great follow-up to Ryan Bomberger. So again, we'd appreciate if you could follow us and tweet at us or Instagram us at freemind.fm. You can even email questions or suggestions for the podcast at podcast at freemind.fm. And we'd appreciate if you could give us a five-star rating in the iTunes store and Apple Podcasts. That helps us get discovered by more people as they search for these topics. Thanks again for listening. Yeah,